Mm-hmm. So welcome to the playroom. First of all, you know, it's a pleasure to meet you and have you here today. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You're welcome. There's so much that I've seen, you know, with your profile. So shout out to Podmatch. You know, we've been able to connect and, you know, just build that genuine relationship building, which is really what the whole point of messaging and creating a balance is all about. So I, I really look forward to learning more about what you have and you know, let's let's learn a few things today, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I'm down for that. Definitely. So tell people more about you and, you know, what you do so that at least we can have a, a good soft landing. Sure. My name is Alea Harris. I'm the founder and owner of Flourish Marketing, um, which is a marketing company that specifically focuses on strategy, copywriting, and education for wedding and creative businesses. So if you want to make money doing what you love, we are here to help you. Wow. That's amazing. And speaking of wedding, you know, that's that's something that my friends, myself, you know, we're all doing that this year. So it's it's amazing how you know when we think about those details there are some things you need to know and it's great to you know connect and you know speak from that perspective too because that also shows a lot of inspirational models and and things that can actually build that storytelling factor yeah so you're getting married this year too yeah god willing oh that's awesome congratulations thank you Thank you so much. So, yeah, it, it's definitely amazing to to know about, you know, what you do and how you're able to build marketing and, you know, put in the best way forward for someone to actually reach their marketing strategies that they can envision from a, you know, consistent point of view. So I would definitely want to know that what is the process for you when you start, you know, reaching out to the clients or the people who are coming to you as far as, you know, pre-qualifying them and actually understanding what they need before you can act, offer those services according to their, you know, their needs and tools. Um, pre-qualification is an interesting uh, question because people usually think that pre-qualification starts when you get them on the phone or when they schedule a call. But for me, pre-qualification actually starts when they very, very, very first come across me. It starts with the way that I do my messaging platform, with how they end up on my email list, with how they end up um, on my social and and why they would follow me is because my message is consistent. So the thought is that I'm not going to get on a podcast, for example, and start talking about flamenco dancing um, because that's not that's not what I do. And so if you're here and you're listening, you're like, oh, she's marketing and she's going to talk about marketing. I heard her say this one fabulous thing. Let me go and go to her website. That person is already further pre-qualified than a random stranger. So, and then the messaging when they land on the website speaks specifically to uh, needs and pain points of my ideal client. And if they land on the site and they're like, ooh, this doesn't seem like it's for me, um, I don't really see how this would help me, then they're already off. And I'm and I wish them well and I hope that they find someone that does more accurately match what they need or what they do. Yeah. Then when they actually book the call on the book the call form, I ask a couple of questions. Um, usually uh, uh, mostly around like what's your budget, what are your needs, what are you looking for? And on that form, I actually have just recently added this call is to match you with services. This is not a free consultation call. Mm. <laughs> so if you want free stuff, 
here's our resources section. Right. Um, which you're more than happy to take advantage of. There's a there's a free resources section. Otherwise, let's talk about how we can help you in a paid way. Um, that type of vetting funnel or marketing funnel that includes information about who I am, what I do, and why you would or would not work with me um, means that by the time I hop on a call, I have to do very little explanation of who I am and I have to do very little explanation of um, uh, my pricing because I also have starting pricing on my website, which also vets out a lot of people. Um, I'm not the cheapest and intentionally not the cheapest because I've been a marketer for 13 years and I have a certifications and and I, I'm if you want to go onto Fiverr and get someone to do your marketing strategy, you're more than welcome, but it's not going to be me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that also helps to to weed weed people out as well. It's interesting when I. Um, I tried to test out like, okay, well, where else can people get to know about me? I'm running ads and podcasts and speaking and blogging and all of that lovely stuff. Where else, you know, can I test out to, to bring people into the funnel? And so I got onto Upwork and it was interesting because if I ever booked a call from someone from Upwork, it was so much more labor intensive. They had no idea who I was. They were interviewing me like I was some random Joe Schmo off the street because wow. that was all they saw. They just saw a profile. They hadn't gone through any type of vetting process. They didn't know about my messaging. All my stuff is there, but that's not how they interact with the platform. So I found myself um, feeling like uh, Upwork was more trouble than it was worth because I was getting leads who were broke who were looking for the cheapest thing. They didn't understand uh, what spending more money with marketing actually gets you, which if you don't know what that is, that's more money. So right. you spend more money and you usually make more money. Exactly. <laughs> um, and it, they, they also weren't understanding who I am and what I brought to the table. <laughs> I had this one, this one interview that it felt like a job interview. And I haven't had a job interview in years, years. Yeah, 13 years <laughs> and a I'm getting on the call, like, this is just like, you know, let me introduce you to my services, what I have to do, blah, blah, blah. And they're asking me like, so what would you say are your greatest strengths and weaknesses as a marketer? If you um, wow. had, you know, one problem you had to fix within my company, what would it be? And I had to stop and I, I stopped in the middle and I said, is this a job interview? Because I own my own company. I'm not trying to have a job. I have a job. I created one for myself. And they were like, oh, yeah, well, this is just what we do with everyone on Upwork. And I declined the proposal. People like that aren't ready to work with um, uh, professional consulting and marketing companies and yeah. when you're vetting your clients you have to realize your worth what you do and how you best match with people who understand what that is and you have to be where those people are hanging out yeah that's a very strong point you mentioned because it makes a lot of sense especially when you think about the the kickstarter point it's like if you can't even get to this point where you know me enough to opt in then you've really not done your research. And it's sad because there are podcasts, there are videos, there are, there's Google. <laughs> you know, you know, you can literally do anything you want to do, but also understand why you're doing it. So 
I think it also boils down to that vetting process, which also leads to a funnel, which most definitely is on email marketing as a subject topic. So when you think about creating that unique experience, that brand exposure, by the same time, the positioning, you know, but whether you're online or offline, it really shows that difference in the dynamics of what you can bring to the table. Yeah, absolutely. And, and if you, listener, are out there and you're saying, well, I keep getting tire kickers, I keep getting price hugglers, it's, it could be because you're not communicating your worth. It could be that you're not putting yourself where people who pay money are located. Um, and it could also be that you're just, you're not putting enough roadblocks there for people who are not going to pay you to stumble over you people are like well i don't want to turn anyone away i'm like why not there's enough money out there and there are enough clients out there who you would love to work with um or people to buy your product who would just adore it and, and sing about it from the rooftops you don't have to deal with people who are going to price tackle you you don't have to keep working with your friends and family you don't have to do, keep dealing with your cousin who keeps asking for a friends and family discount you if you're really serious about owning a business, being an entrepreneur, then you have to be a business owner, not a hobbyist trying to make money from your hobby. There's a big difference and there's a mentality shift there that that, that happens. I was talking to um, a lady yesterday and she said, was saying, oh, I've invested so much money in my business. And I said, okay, well, what have you done? And she was like really kind of exasperated. And I'm like, well, whew, goodness, what yeah, I'm thinking, she's like $100,000, $200,000 in the hole in this business. She goes, oh, I've done all the things. I got my business license and the incorporation and my email. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> you, I mean, yes, all of that does cost money. Like uh, my business is an S corp and I think it costs, you know, like a thousand or $1,500 to set up your business license, depending on your area anywhere between like 60 bucks, maybe a couple hundred bucks, right? It does cost at least a couple thousand dollars to set up a business in a legit way. And she was just bemoaning the point that she had to set up her business. And I, after a while, I'm like, well, why was that a problem? Basically, I think I said it in a nice way, but in the end, <laughs> I was like, what's the, what's the problem here? Right. <laughs> and I said, is this your first time owning a business? And she said, well, I mean, yeah, but mm. no. And I was like, well, what does that mean? And she said, well, it's my first time owning a legit business. You know, the other ones I had like done like as a hobby and like I had done like sold some stuff on the side. And, and I said, well, that's the difference. This is what business ownership feels like. She goes, well, I have to invest money from my other income streams in this business. I say, yeah, if that's what it takes when you're starting something from scratch. You will have to invest in it. The point is to do it smartly and then to attract people who will pay you so that your investment you don't get so stressed out about the fact that you had to invest because you have a marketing plan and a business plan in place on how you're going to make up that money right. and you won't be able to do that unless you properly vet your clients and get paid what you're worth exactly <laughs> that that definitely puts a sideline in between the people who are serious and the ones who are not because even even right now for me, I'm fo we're focusing on on Pinterest and SEO specifically, especially when it comes to marketing and inspirational value. 
and I'm also in these rooms and at the same time I talk about it, which is also what I'm you know, discussing with clients. And the first question I get is, what is Pinterest marketing? And that already says that there's a gap that people have to have that no like trust factor, but they have to get it from you. Because if they don't get it from you, then they can't find it because they're first, they're not looking for it. And two, they don't know if they need it. So you have to really bridge that gap and create that messaging. So that's where the relationship and the loyal family, you know, reward programs, all that good stuff that, you know, brand identifies you that you are actually bringing customers, you know, service that is profitable to them and to you. But at the same time, it's also beneficial to everybody else who's looking in. Absolutely. And Pinterest is interesting, too, because Pinterest is kind of always lumped into social media and social media platforms. But as you as you mentioned, Pinterest is more about um, being a search engine than a social media platform. It helps people find you and it's wonderful, wonderful for location based businesses because you're able to say the top five donut shops in Nashville, you know, and you can add that into your text and people that are looking for donut shops in Nashville or crazy donut creations in Nashville, whatever you want to use. Right. That they're going to find you in a similar way that they would if they were typing in into Google and they'll pin and they'll reshare, et cetera, et cetera. So, when you're thinking about platforms, which is, I'm glad you brought this up. When you're thinking about platforms, you said you're focusing on SEO and Pinterest because that's right for you and your business. Often people are saying, people say, I need to go on Instagram. I need to go on Facebook. Is That's just what you do. And I'm like, well, who, who does that? Right. What are your goals? Take a step back from this is just what you do and being, feeling like, you have to do something because the masses are doing it to saying what what actually solves my business's pain point am i trying to grow am i trying to get brand awareness so for example if you are a baby business and you have some money to invest in ads running ads to like a google ads facebook ads instagram ads you can do them relatively inexpensively and you can run your ads to some type of lead magnet so uh helpful guide or a quiz where you're getting people's email addresses and building your email list. That's a great place to start. It could be a great place to start for you and your business. But you also then need to do organic social posting to make your ads more effective. So then you're like, okay, well, if I'm going to run ads on Facebook and Instagram, I need to post at least three to four times a week on there to make sure that my ads are effective and people have an account that they can go back and look through as they are delivered my ads. So that strategy might work well for you. But if you're like, I am just going hard into Pinterest, you might not even have an Instagram account, right? Or maybe you're like, I only speak. Um, and I only do podcasts. So I have maybe an Instagram here, maybe I don't, but I have an email list and that's going hard in email marketing. You have to do what makes sense for your business where you're at and you don't have to do all the things at once. Um, that gets intimidating and it also gets to a point where people, um, you're not able to keep it up and you're inconsistent. So it's like, oh man, I forgot to post, or oh man, I forgot to email my list, or oh man, I needed to show up here at this podcast or the speaking engagement, and you know, I did it, but I didn't do my best work, whatever it is. 
your 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 inconsistent and inconsistency kind of tanks all of the brand equity that you've been able to build up um, from whatever you started. So you need to make sure that whatever you do, it's it's manageable to build consistency, and consistency leads to trust online. And trust, like you were saying, no like and trust leads to lucrative relationships that put money in your bank account. So it's not just me telling you you can't handle it. Don't only do one thing at a time. It's really for a purpose to make sure that you can build trust quickly and consistently to build your brand rather than trying to just do all the things because someone told you you were supposed to. Exactly. So it really changes that that appearance and puts you in perspective of actually knowing what you're trying to say because sometimes you don't even know what to say because another problem could be I don't have content but I know what I'm doing. So it's like do you know what you want to say or do you have that one thing that can really divide into different branches and understand the tool and the mastery of it. So even when you think about Pinterest, you think about building inspiration, you think about blogs, you think about articles, you know, that's emails, that's quizzes like you mentioned. So how does someone even start with email marketing? Because there are so many platforms like on our end, we use Flowdesk and it's it's a bit it's been a blessing. It's amazing because there's so much that, you know, you can do visually and also text based and people think, OK, it's always going to spam box. Okay, no, you can bypass that if you have authenticated data. So it, it goes deeper than just sending an email. It's does it bounce or does it really get you know delivered to the right recipient? So how does someone start with email marketing like that? I'm really glad that you brought up that you use Flowdesk and deliverability rates. Um, a lot of people use Mailchimp and Constant Contact. And traditionally they those are the those are kind of like the OGs. But now they tend to have lower deliverability rates, meaning you'll have someone's correct email address and they won't get the emails that you send to them, which is kind of a shame because you spend a lot of time, energy and effort creating and delivering those emails out. Yeah. So I really do like Flowdesk uh, ConvertKit. Recently, I had a peer recommend MailerLite, which I haven't personally tried but it seems really great and straightforward. Um, those are all examples of an email service provider or an ESP. Your email service provider is what you use to deliver emails out. So I want to get that really clear because some people are like, well, wait a minute, your email service provider is not just Gmail. It's like, no, it's not just Gmail. You're using a separate tool to deliver um, the emails that you're looking for or that, that you're going to be sending. Also, that email service provider helps you um, with landing pages where people go and they actually give you your email address. That's a storefront to your landing page. It's where that exchange happens. Yeah. And it helps you with automation. Email marketing is wonderful because you're nurturing those lucrative relationships Um on autopilot you don't even know you're nurturing the lucrative relationships i've had people that have hopped on discovery calls with me who just start talking like oh yeah hey Leia. and i'm like uh, and i don't want to say i don't know you but then right. i go like while they're talking uh-huh yeah yeah and i go into my email service provider and they've been following and opening my emails for like a year and a half. Wow. So yeah, they do know me. They've gotten an email from me once a week, multiple times a week. They know what I ate, ate and what, you know, my husband and I went on vacation. They know all of that yeah. because they've been interacting with my emails. 
And so for them, they're, co- they're on the call just to make sure that they got the pricing right and the buy button is the right buy button. Like right. that's, that's when they get on the call and that's the power of email marketing. Wow. To get started, we go backwards and we say, okay, well, how do any of these people even start to get to know me? <laughs> <laughs> you need to offer value. Yes. It's kind of counterintuitive. I know I already mentioned once in this call that you need to, uh, it takes money to make money. That's true, but then it also means that you also have to give away a lot of free stuff to make money too. So that's the first thing that you do with email marketing. You you serve and then you sell. You serve with helpful, relevant information and then you earn the right to sell to them later. Nobody wants you to come up and approach them saying, bye, 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 bye. That's spam, right? That's people who get blocked. That's people who get deleted. That's people who get unsubscribes. You come up to them and say, wow, I see you're really struggling with this problem. I have five tips for you um, that I think can really help. So download them here and I'll get your email address. It's fine. I'm going to email you once a week with some more helpful tips. And in the meantime, you're going to get a quick win from this beautiful piece of juicy, irresistible information that I'm heading your way. Mm. That's how you initiate the, the conversation. It does a couple of things. One, you're not sleazy car, used car salesman, right? You're not saying, bye, 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 bye. You're offering value. You're positioning yourself as a helpful expert. And you're building the relationship from the perspective that it is transactional. You're giving something, you're getting something. You're giving um, information and you're getting an email address. People feel their email addresses emotionally are worth about $20. So when they give you their email address, it's kind of like feeling like they're giving you $20 in their heart of hearts because they know that you're going to email them. It's not a secret. You right. need to tell them and make sure you're GDPR compliant, but you it's not a secret that they, you're going to email them afterwards. So when you... But take that seriously and you're like, okay, what can I create that's $20? I've downloaded lead magnets that are like one page checklists that help no one do nothing. And I'm like, this is, this is pointless. And you're actually shooting yourself in the foot. The people that create things like that are either just time starved and like, oh my God, I got to get something out. Oh, here's this thing. Um, right. Which I get, but it's worth spending more time thinking about what you're going to be giving away. Or they have a scarcity mentality. They say, I don't want to give away things for free, free, because that's what I do. I do education. All my experience is in my head. I don't want to just give that away for free. I want people to pay me for that. Yes, people are going to pay you for that, but they don't know you. And there's 20 people who do what you do. So they're not just going to pay you because you look cute. Mm. You need to show them your credibility and you do that in a lead magnet that helps them solve their problems. Now, a lead magnet that solves their problems usually is more um, about diagnosis than treatment. So you will say, this, these are the five things you need to do. But you aren't going to say, and this is a step-by-step on how to do each five, because that's probably what they're going to pay you for. Or you might say, this is the one main thing you need to do. Here's a step-by-step on how to do that one thing. But there's 10 other things that you need to do. And that's what you pay me for. Right. Or you might even say, here's a full like template on how to do this thing. It's plug and play template. But it's super complicated. And probably like the template's easy to use. But you need all this other knowledge. That's what you pay me to do. 
So there's a, a difference between what you're giving away and what you charge for. But you do give away something that's really helpful. I've gotten things that have been so helpful that I couldn't help but contact the person that gave it to me and see what else they had. Because I'm like, if this is what they're giving away for free, what magic are they charging for? Right. That's the feeling that you want people to have. That's how you get started with email marketing by giving things away. And then you start emailing them with regularity every five to seven days. You, the first email sequence that gets sent out, you deal with objections, you introduce your products and services, you end in a sales letter. They may or may not buy on that sales letter. After three to four emails, then they land on a sales letter. They may or may not buy. Like I told you, that I have conversations with people that have been on my email list for two years, right? It's not for me to tell them when they have the money or when it's right for them to buy or when their business gets to a point where they need me. That's not for me to say. Their buyer's journey is their buyer's journey. My job is to just keep showing up with relevant, helpful content so that they understand that I'm there and I'm there to help and I stay top of mind, which is what weekly emailing does. You stay top of mind so that they don't forget about you and so that when they do need you or want to buy from you, you're there. They just got an email from you a couple days ago. Mm, That's a strong one. And it definitely shows that you care about their time. You care about their them even responding to you because sometimes you may send emails and nobody's responding. You can have a thousand emails and you don't really care if that deliverability rate is above ninety, hopefully ninety five or close to ninety nine point nine. You can really say that okay, it went to the right people. Eventually, they're going to read it. And sometimes you can get a response from an email that you sent probably twelve sequences ago. And you'd be like, oh, you remember it, you know, so you don't like you said, you don't have to wait for them. You just have to keep doing what you're doing. But also, if you think about text based only and you think about image as far as, like you said, nurturing the audience, because people are also visual. There's always this debate that, oh, I have to send visual that goes to promotions or I just send text based. And then if they click on this, this is where they find all the visuals. So that click through rate and that deliverability, like you said, how does that connect so that people don't over deliver and also overwhelm themselves? Well, The very first thing when I say, when we get into technical things about who's opening, do they open text, do they open things that are more visual, I always say to test it. So I use ConvertKit as opposed to Flowdesk, mostly because I like that the back end allows me to do more stuff than Flowdesk. Flowdesk is very simple and very basic. If you're starting off, it's amazing. Flowdesk also allows you to have a more visual interface. It creates those beautiful emails. I like the beautiful emails, but I also like emails for me that just sound like they're coming or look like they're coming from a friend and a friend. I I throw in gifts with regularity, but Mm. I'm not going to necessarily put in... um, you know, full on designs in my emails. That's just my style. I'm also a copywriter. So I want you to focus on the copy and I want you to realize that you've read all the way down through my 500 word email because my copy was that good. You should buy my copy. Mm. That's, That's also partially from, from my perspective, why I do, why I do that. However, I have tested. Okay. If I send a bunch of, of, um, 
uh, visuals, will people click on things more? Will people move through and read things more? If I put the if I put a bunch of visuals and the only link I have is at the very bottom, what the link click situation like? Are they going to click that link, which means that they read to the bottom? Or if I put the link in the middle, or if I only put the links on the images? You play with things like that to discover what are the best practices for you and your audience. There are some best practices that work across, like your your subject line. The only purpose of your subject line is to get people to open your email. It, it should be at least tangentially related to your email. But for example, I sent an email recently where I was I was part of a group of educators and we were selling an education bundle. Yeah. And it was 30 educators selling an education bundle. Um, it was for super cheap for 99 bucks. It was $5,000 worth of education that we were selling together for 99 bucks for one week only. Um, and so that week, I had an email to my list every day with helpful tips that broke down the different types of education and gave my personal tips. One of the email subject lines was, Cardi B was on to something. <laughs> yeah. Am I selling Cardi B? Do I know Cardi B? No, I don't. <laughs> However, it got the email opened and there was a Cardi B gift in the beginning and it was about her making money moves and it was about the financial and accounting topics and my financial and accounting advice based on my business. Right. And buy this bundle. So the purpose of the subject line is to get you to open the email. The purpose of the first line of the email is to get you to read the second. The purpose of the second line is to get you to read the third and so on and so forth. If you're not grabbing their attention right from the beginning, you've lost them. If your email start off with, hey, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm sitting here drinking my tea, having a conversation with my cat. You've lost them. They're not reading your email, no matter how good your subject line is. Exactly. You need to grab them from the beginning, right? So your first line would be like, so are you making money moves or are you broke? Let's talk about it. And you then you go right into whatever the topic is, right? You need people to be like, ooh, yeah, well, you might have me, I might, I might not be. Or when was the last time you saw two commas in your bank statement on your bank balance? Mm, well, does the, the period between the you know the cents and the dollars doesn't count? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> never. I don't know if I've ever seen two commas, right? I've only seen that old good old one comma. <laughs> So you start to get people to think and then read. That's the power of a, of a good email. Yeah. And another best practice is to have the call to action multiple times. Another best practice is to include a PS section, the most read part of an email at the very bottom. I know what you're thinking. You're like, wait a minute. What? You're going to have me write this entire email. <laughs> no one's going to read it. They're going to scroll down to the bottom to the PS and just read that. Yes. That's what I'm telling you. <laughs> Some people will read your full email. I get people because like, I'm just like giving, just giving up at this point in time and been like, you know what? I am not corporate. I have all kinds of jokes in my email. I put inside jokes that I have inside jokes with myself in my email. And then I started getting people to respond like, you're hilarious. Thank you for reading. Um, But when you, you can write that whole email, no one will read it. They'll scroll to the bottom into your PS section. 
make sure your PS section goes, okay, I've even had PSs that said, so you, so you got down here and you didn't read anything, huh? Okay, <laughs> this is in, in one sentence on what that entire email was about, Ooh. click here to buy. Wow. That click here to buy link in the PS is the most clicked link in your email. So you learn email best practices, but then you test it out and then you don't overuse. If you have a PS in every single email, then that becomes something that people again, glaze their eyes over. Mm. Um, I, one tip that I like is if I have an email that I'm like, no, I really want to sell this. I've been emailing about it. You know, I have an email sequence about this one thing and this is the sales letter. I'm like, no, I really want to sell this. I put the first name code in the subject line. And I'll say, first name, have you ever da 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 da? Or what's up with da 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 da? And I ask a question. That gets emails opened better than most other subject lines do. But you can't do that forever because it also gets the most unsubscribes. So the people that are just like, ah, oh, you duped me, how dare you? They're out. <laughs> but I also made a lot of money from the people that opened it. So I don't really care about the unsubscribes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a beautiful one that you just mentioned. I also thought about another one like um, first name code. What's up with your wardrobe? You know, so that already makes you like, oh, I forgot. I, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> or for, for me, one of my, I didn't even do this on purpose. I, think I was actually tired when I wrote it and I just thought that I ran out of brain juice and it was about, e- uh, I'm sorry, not email, a uh, website. I was selling. I don't even know if I was selling. I think I was. I think I was getting people register for a master class I was doing on websites. I think that's what it was. Okay. Don't quote me on that if you're on my email list and you actually remember and I don't. Um, and the subject line, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired. I'll just put, yikes, your website is broken. <laughs> Do you know that that is that's the most responses I've ever gotten? And the most opens I've ever gotten. People got that in the subject line. Like, oh my god. I didn't realize I was. I didn't. I don't like fear mongering or clickbait. I didn't realize that's what I had done until I opened up my email when I got it the next morning, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I guess I could see how people are a little bit frightened by that." But it worked. Yeah. And I'm not apologizing for it. And people emailed me back like, "You got me." I opened up that email. I read all the way to the bottom just to make sure everything was okay. So oh my goodness! Yeah, whatever, whatever they're in and whatever they're thinking about. That's amazing. And if you think about putting a PS and then have like a Kermit the Frog, you know, sipping tea at the bottom, you literally, <laughs> you literally have a plot twist. So now you're not. It's not just about the copy. It's also about the relationship, and that's where the conversion matters because people trust you enough to actually spend their hard earn money to you know give you and say okay let's do this and the more money you're asking for the stronger your relationship needs to be if you're selling ten dollar i don't know hats or t-shirts or something you can probably send more more sales emails than the average person because people do what you tell them to do so if you tell them to buy they'll buy if you don't tell them to buy they won't buy it's very simple and you're like does that work yes it works so but I can't do that when I'm trying to, to sell a $10,000 client. I can't just keep sending sales emails. It's not going to work. Right. So you have to also realize what type of product you're selling. 
um, I'm building relationships. People are no not buying Flourish Marketing. They're not buying my writers. I have writers on my team that are published authors. I have two actually. Full published authors, they're, they're beautiful writers. They're not buying our expertise off the bat. They're buying me. They're buying the comfort that they feel with me leading the team. They're buying, like when, when they do read the words they buy, they're like, oh my God, now I'm sticking around because you really do what you say you're gonna do. Right. But in the first blush, they're buying my personality. They're buying, that's how I've constructed my brand. If you have a brand that doesn't have one person out in front, they're still buying your brand's personality. Yeah. Um, I have a friend who I'm so super proud of. Um, her name is Celeste Perez. And she has a uh, drink company called Droplet. It's functional drinks. And it's female-owned, Filipino-woman-owned. Um, and she has an amazing personality. But why you would buy her brand, is could be because it's female and Filipino-owned. But it has this, like, a holistic vibe. And the cans and the packaging are gorgeous. And she's created this whole brand personality around self-care and what that means you're bought in the drink and what it tastes like is secondary you're like well i'm gonna buy the drink i already but tell me more about the self-care i need for my zodiac sign like Mm. that's where you're at right and if that's your type of brand where it's not your personality then you can still create that entire feeling that people are buying into and then they're like well yeah i'll buy whatever you're selling right um if you're like i don't have a strong personality or we are like an electrical engineering company i don't know what you want me to do with that first of all i would tell you that all uh companies can have a personality and can have a voice on the internet you just have to be brave enough to actually step into it but if you're like ah, not there what would help is testimonials from other people and then people can at least then feel your credibility and know that working with you is okay. Your job, after you tell your story, after you really clearly outline your product, your pricing, you've done your vetting, is to make sure that you are mitigating risk for your ideal client. When they come to you, they should feel like they are a sure bet that your, 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 their money is in a good place. If they come to you and they still feel like, I'm gonna give you this money, but I'm feeling a little bit apprehensive about spending money with you, those are the difficult clients. Those are the clients that will ask for their money back. Those are the clients who will nickel and dime you. Those are the clients who will take you out of scope. And it's not their fault, it's your fault. It's your fault for not accurately mitigating the risk and communicating your story and setting expectations way before they ever spend money with you. If you're not doing that, you're setting yourself up for failure. You're setting yourself also up for losing money in the long run. Clarity of message and being able to say like, you sign up, but you know, we have 30 day refund policy or there's a money back guarantee or we will work with you until we get this right. Even words like that, I don't have a money back guarantee. I'm not going to lie. I have a service business. So once I give you your content, what am I going to do? Strip it away? Like I can't like, right. do that. But I don't have a money back guarantee, but I, I say we will work with you until we get this right. Until you are absolutely in love with your content. Some people say, oh, it's two revisions, it's one revision. For me, it's until you are in love with 
what we give you. Mm. So you, then they're like, oh, well, yeah, I'll spend the money if, until I love it, then that's great, right? It, it mitigates that risk for people. So you have to be able to do that when you're building relationships. And you can say that it's altruistic, but it's really not. It's for you. It's to make sure that you keep loving doing what you're doing. Um, and the only way to do that is to make sure that you have those clear boundaries, clear expectations, and people know what they're going to get. And when they sit in front of you, they have that continued feeling of trust. Exactly. That makes a lot of sense. And even if you think about it from a membership point of view and say, like, I know, yeah, it's non-refundable, but you can have this 30-day free trial just to sneak peek. And it, you know that it's going to be up. And if you don't use those 30 days, that's on you. So it now puts the, it's like, it, now you're playing the ball on their court. Now, now the ball is in their court. It's like, okay, now you decide. If you really want this for yourself, then you make that decision. If not, then I'm sorry. There's nothing else I can tell you. Exactly. Exactly. And it's very interesting because people, like, have you ever tried to cancel something and you have to call customer service mm-hmm. as opposed to just pressing the cancel button? Yeah. I hate that. I hate that. I hate it for multiple reasons. I hate it as a client and I hate it as a business uh, business coach looking at somebody else's business. Because what you're saying is, it's like, you can get in, but you can never leave. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like we will hold you and your credit card information hostage. <laughs> That's, again, I go back to what I was saying before. That's a scarcity mentality. Yeah. If you have an abundance mentality... You're like, you know what? You can leave anytime. I'm not going to hold on to your money. I've even been like, people have been like, oh my gosh, especially during the pandemic. Like, okay, I signed up. It's a six month contract, but I can't pay that $900 this month. And I'm like, you know what? That's fine. I understand. I'm just either, I'm either going to put your contract on hold or there are some people have been like, I'm actually no longer in business. I'm not going to chase them down for $900. I'm like, okay, I wish you well. I think I've even sent them gifts. Mm. So it's it's about being okay with when the universe, God, insert your deity here, says, you know, that's no longer for you. So I have something else for you. You need to let that go. Mm. And being okay with that. Um, people are like, oh, no, but I have to hold on to every person. By the time they're ready to hit that cancel button, they're out. Right? Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't after they hit the cancel button, maybe you have an email that goes and says, hey, you just canceled. You were at our highest membership tier. Did you know that you could downgrade for the next 24 hours, 48 hours? You could re-sign up for that second tier as opposed to the top tier um, for this discount. And I'm not saying don't try to recapture them, but if they want to go, let them go. That also speaks more volumes. I've had people that have canceled my membership because they can't afford it. They've emailed me and they've been like, I just, I I love this, but I can't afford it. I'm like, don't even worry about it. I still check up on them. I have one person that's not even a member of my membership anymore. And I kid you not, she's brought in like five new members (laughs) because of how I, I let her go or how I was okay with her not being part of my membership because she couldn't at that time. Right. Again, back to relationships. Don't be salty because someone leaves you. 
right? Don't have resentment, don't have ill will. Let them go, open up your hand to receive more. And it's been my experience with myself, with others, and it's pretty much a universal law that when you open up yourself to receive and you realize that abundance is all around you, more abundance comes your way. Oh yeah, definitely. It, it shows a lot of tenacity and it also shows your willingness to serve, which is why you're really doing it in the first place. So people really think that this is such a hard thing to do but it's easier people yeah people say it's easier said than done but if you do it with that willingness and passion to really get to that huddle and say i want to make this happen and you i'm counting on you now you're putting them at that point where they're like really making that decision because they need it but they don't know if you are the right person to lead them that's the only thing they're thinking about and if you can break it down like you said it, it makes a lot of sense. And you even talked about, you know, running all the way down to the email list, um, part of the email. They do the same thing for websites. You know, if you have an article, you go all the way down to the bottom and you start scrolling back up to know, okay, am I going to read this conclusion? Am I going to read this index? So you think about, you know, where people are really focusing on. And then in terms of a website, because we're talking about, you know, building commitment and, and trust value, how do you convert a high converting website when it comes to content? Because, of course, that favors you in SEO. But at the same time, when you're giving it out naturally, you don't have to stuff it. How do you build that so that as somebody who's actually in that level where they understand what we're talking about, they can say, oh, I probably missed this point and I can do this to bridge the gap. Yeah, well, that's a whole nother podcast. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But first of all, you need to be very, very clear. (laughs) You need to go to your website and be like, I'm going to ask myself questions. I'm going to shake my head, try to take out all the knowledge of my business that I have. And then I'm going to open my eyes and look at my website and ask myself these questions. Do people actually know what I do? Is it easy to buy from me? What problem do I solve? You'd be amazed at how many websites I land on and I review several on a regular basis. (laughs) And I'm like, what do you do? Are you a church or are you a retirement home? Right? Because it never says church or it never says retirement home. So what do you do? Are you a wedding planner or are you a therapist? Because you have a lot of language here about dealing with drama and helping you have a good time, dealing with issues. Yikes. Never said you were a wedding planner. Never said where you were located. I don't even know how to book with you. There's a contact button, but contact is not the same as buy now, get a quote, schedule a call. That's right. not the same thing. So I don't actually know what you do. So before you're like, ah, this girl, how dare she tell me that my website isn't clear? Look at it. <laughs> you can have a great header that says something fancy and whatever. First of all, that's a bad idea, but let's say you do have a great header that's fancy, that's insider flowery language. If your subheader says, wedding planner in Hoboken, New Jersey, serving New Jersey, New York, and worldwide, that's a stronger headline. (laughs) (laughs) And if you have that on your website, not only would Google be happier, but all the people that are coming to your website would be happy because they would actually understand what you do. Now, the thing is about what problem do you solve? Yeah. So, you could be someone who cuts grass, who will tell you where your flowers go in your front yard, and you could say, we are landscapers. 
Not a bad thing, because you should say landscapers on there. But that's not the problem that you solve. The problem that you solve is not grass that's overgrown or flowers that need shaping and tending to. The problem that you solve is the homeowner needing to have the best house on the block. That's the problem that you solve. Because the homeowner that needs to have the best house on the block is the one that's going to invest in your in your company right. and going to spend money with you. Think about it. If you just need someone to cut your lawn, you pay the, the high school kid down the street to come over and just make sure that things are not like overgrown up to your windows, right? That's, that's that person. The person that's going to actually spend money making sure that their flowers are changed out seasonally and their lawn looks like it is almost fake. Mm. Those are the people who are, are trying to reach for that aspirational identity of the Joneses, right? Like keeping up with the Joneses. They are trying to be the Joneses. And that might be your ideal customer, especially if you offer a premium price point. Yeah. So don't sell yourself short like, oh, the problem I solve is I cut grass. No, the problem that you solve is much more, more likely a little bit grander than that. And your website needs to address that. And that's also when you start vetting people automatically from the very, very beginning. They need to understand that if you want someone that's just going to cut your grass, like that's not us, mm. right? We're, we're not, our prices aren't like that. If you want a manicured lawn, that's when you come to us. Yeah. So that, that I think that when you're talking about messaging in your header and the parts on your website and the content on your website, that's a great place to start. And most people don't even have, have that. And it's very, I don't see buy now, schedule a call, get a quote buttons. I see contact. Um, which is very passive aggressive. Like, like, well, I mean, you guess I guess you could contact me if you want to. Like, no, no, they're on your <laughs> website because you want them to buy from you. Ask them to buy from you. Be direct. Don't be wishy washy. Exactly. That makes a lot of sense. And I think that that whole thing of ask nine times. Actually, I like give nine times. Ask once. When mm-hmm. you do that over a 7 to 12 impression time and, and you get one conversion, you're really speaking to a lot of people at the same time without even realizing that you have a workflow. So it's it's, yeah. it's a really, really good thing to think of. And even before we go, um, what would you say, uh, you know, as, as the last thing to definitely, because people have a lot of things to think about <laughs> already. So um, how, do, how do people get more clients as creative solopreneurs? <laughs> this is the biggest question I get. I don't have any clients. I don't have any clients. First of all, I'm going to be very blunt that it's marketing, not magic. You need to market your business. But if I could wiggle my nose and get you 20 new clients tomorrow, first of all, I would because I'm just that nice of a person. And second of all, I'll be doing it for my private island because I would have charged you an arm and a leg to wiggle my nose to do that for you because that would be magic not marketing right marketing again is about building relationships relationship building whether it's digitally or in person takes time people need to know about you people need to see your message at least seven times before they even resonate that it ever existed in the first place yep so if you're going to think about like how am i getting new clients you need to build a marketing funnel you need a way to attract clients you need a way to convert them into your audience and into your audience means into your email list it does not necessarily mean only onto your social media follower account yeah because 
you don't have control over that audience and how you message them. The owners of the platforms do. Mark Zuckerberg owns that audience, uh, not you. So you attract them, you convert them into your audience, and then you close deals with them. And you need automated uh, systems and processes in order to make that happen. If you're just saying, well, I post on Instagram, that is not an automated system and process. If you're saying, well, I have a blog, well, that's great, but that's not an automated system and process, and that's not hitting from the trap converting and closing. That's more about the in the middle of your marketing funnel where they're getting to know you and you're building relationships with them and you're positioning yourself as a helpful expert, but it's not a way for people to get to know you. Yes, is it going to help with SEO? Absolutely. Is SEO a long game? Absolutely. People think, I'm going to put a blog up, and SEO and the Googles are going to find me and I'm going to rank number one on on um, the search engine results page based off of my you know internet prowess for my website that's been up for two weeks. That's not how it works. Right. It's a long game and you have to be patient. You have to be patient. If you're trying to fast track things, you either need to spend a lot of money or spend a lot of time and energy. Spending a lot of money means that you like get your messaging correct. You, you work with someone to get your messaging correct so that you know that you're, you're talking about the right things. And you spend the money on ads. You spend money on top, middle, and bottom funnel ads to make sure to convert people into your list and to buy from your product. You spend money on a salesperson or a sales team to go out there and get your clients. Right. You also invest in marketing for the short and long term, but you invest heavily on proactively going to get your clients if you have the money to do that. If you don't have the money to do that, then you need to be everywhere. You, you need to be speaking. You need to be guest blogging. You need to be doing email swaps with like businesses and complementary businesses. You need to then, yes, be posting on your own blog and also be pumping up your SEO, but you need to be prolific. I'm talking about writing three to four guest blog posts a week for at least six months. Then you'll be everywhere. You'll get backlinks to your site. People within your industry will start to know you because they're literally like, wasn't he just over there? Wasn't she just over there? Yeah. It takes a lot of time, energy, and effort. Um, But if you're writing all of those blog posts or you're on those podcasts or you're doing speaking engagements, all it is is your time and there's not an extra injection of, of cash. You... There's good, fast, and cheap, but you can't have all three, mm. <laughs> <laughs> right? Good and cheap? No, those 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 don't those don't go together either. <laughs> At all. <laughs> so you need to decide what your what your resources are and how you're going to go after your your audience. But getting started with getting more clients will involve some type of system. It just involves how much time and money you're going to invest in that system to make it work for you yeah that's a strong ending because now you now really figure out your why and then your step process become easier because you can't do them all like you said it's really a step process so yeah this is this is definitely amazing thank you so much how can people even reach out to you because i know you know we talked about you know flourish marketing and i know it's flourishing as the word is saying you know (laughs) (laughs) so yeah let people know how they can reach out to you if they want to get in contact with you yeah you can go to www.flourishmarketing.co flourishmarketing.co not.com 
Um, then you can learn all about our services and we also have a free resource section that I mentioned earlier. And you can follow me personally on Instagram at Alea Harris, A-L-E-Y-A-H-A-R-R-I-S. You can also follow Flourish Marketing at flourishmarketing.co. And if you're particularly interested in social media and social media tips and tricks, you can follow at The Social Media Pantry, which is our social media branch of Flourish Marketing. Awesome. Thank you so much, Alea, for being here. You are a breath of fresh air for the podcast, and I hope people definitely take notes and apply what you just described. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. You're welcome. Anytime. All right, bye. Bye.